Hello, and welcome to the Brass Music Store podcast. For this episode, the emphasis is firmly on youth, and I'll be talking to two of the rising stars of the brass band movement, euphonium player James McLeod and cornet player Laura Conway. Here we are at the uh, Fabana Tyrone uh, Brass Band Summer School with legendary euphonium virtuoso James McLeod. Uh, James, tell us about your early days uh, with the Cory Band. Um, so I, I joined the, the Cory Band in my second year at the, the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama. Um, I joined on second baritone and then after about three or four months I, I moved up to second euphonium, um, sat next to my teacher David Childs. Um, it was really my first proper band. I'd, I'd played for one band before that, uh, seriously, um, and so it was uh, it was eye opening for, for sure. And that was with uh, Dave Charles above you, and then uh, his dad Bob Charles conducting at that stage. Yeah, for for the first eighteen months, and then uh, that was when uh, Bob and Dave both left at, at the same sort of time, and then uh, that was when Phil Harper took over, and I sat next to Matthew White for for six months. Yes. I mean, an awful lot of brass band players rely on something, say, like the album. Would you be using the album, or have you alternative method books that you would dip in and out of? There's all kind of method books. I, I, I have uh, a handful at home. I've never used them in the way that most people uh, do or should, and I, I know, I, I do know that. Um, I'm, I'm sure if you speak to Owen, uh, he, he has his, his whole regiment based around books, including the Arvin, but a handful of others. Uh, the Arvin is probably the one I use the most because it's the one that my teachers use the most. Um, and th- there's just about something in there for every uh, area of your playing that you want to improve. Um, it, even if you kind of hijack an exercise that's meant for one thing and change it into helping you work on another. And I mean, um, for I, I guess for youngsters listening to this, what about fundamentals like, like airflow and, and support and things? How, how do you, do you do that naturally or, or do you have a, um, a mental image of airflow and support? I think when, when, I, when I was first starting to play, that was the area of my playing that I was probably weakest in, was, was shifting air through the instrument and getting it out there. Um, and I, I had to do a lot of work while I was at college on um, improving airflow and the the timing and the speed and, and all, all, all manner of it because it just wasn't something that I did naturally. I think now, you know, sort of 10 years later, um, it's not something that I, I don't picture things anymore because it, it's now so in, inherently in It's me. ingrained in yeah. from practice, yes. um, Although obviously playing any instrument is artistic in nature, um, in terms of being artistic, in terms of uh, vivid imagery to, to help me, I've never really been somebody who learns that way. Um, I'm more inclined to focus on the, on the technical aspect. And so rather than thinking about what I was trying to do with the air in terms of it's like turning on a tap and all of those kind of analogies, they didn't really work for me. So thinking about when I would start the airflow and when I would stop it. And the, and the timing between that and how it marries with articulation and, and how it marries with the, with the buzz in your embouchure, that, that's how I improved by, by thinking about the, the real, the kind of scientific fundamentals rather than the, the imagery. Yes, yes, okay, obviously a, a, natural, a natural process. I mean, an awful lot of teachers nowadays 
don't talk about uh, the support of the diet. I have an awful lot of teachers now go for the natural approach. And if, if you don't think about it too much, if it works, if it's if it's not broken, don't fix it, basically, um, which I think for an awful lot of players works. Not, of course, if, if you have issues. but uh, And you started on the baritone then? That, yeah. That was your first, right? Yeah, I did a right. baritone for four years or so, and then, right. and then you found him after that. And, and then you went to the dark side. Would, would, it, would that be a fair comment? Would that be? Yeah. I, I, I can hear people like Peter Christian uh, gnashing his teeth and <laughs> throwing bricks at you for a... Yeah, if, yeah, if Rob Richardson can hear this, yeah, it's, it's all your fault. No, uh, I, I was on baritone. Um, I, I, I always wanted to play euphonium because I always thought that they got better parts to play. They were more interesting. So if the barit- if first baritone had more interesting parts generally through all of my youth band music, then maybe I would have been more inclined to stay. But um, I always wanted to play euphonium. I always heard euphonium players more so than baritone players and, and, and the like. Um, and yeah, as soon as I got the opportunity to, to move up, then I, I took it. Yes, yes. Is that a silent plea to all composers and arrangers to, to write better baritone parts? <laughs> well, fairly, I mean, recently, if you look at some of the test pieces that have been picked in the last couple of years, that the baritone is, is becoming as important or even more so. Certainly, if you look at the pieces that Black Dyke have commissioned for themselves to play the Europeans, the amount that they feature Katrina um, as, as one example. Um, but you, you're finding it all over the repertoire now. Yes, yes. Because it's a strange mix, isn't it? That whole sax horn family in the middle of a brass band from the horn to the baritones of use and the basses. I mean, for a long time, uh, I know in far Fernley has stomped on that one, horns and baritones were, were regarded as almost second-class citizens in a way, in, but, but back in the 50s, 60s and 70s, they were, they were a lesser thing, they? which, as you say, has disappeared now in, yeah. in, in the 21st century. They're, they're... And, and I think that's more... I don't think it's necessarily to do with the, the players per se, um, although having people like Owen uh, kind of pushing the tenor horn forward is, is always going to help an instrument to kind of blossom uh, the repertoire that he's either written and arranged for himself or, or had written and, and arranged for him is, is staggering compared to some of the other rep that the tenor horn has. Um, but I think just the fact that composers are, are aware that the players can do the same things, it's, it's you know, a, a lot of euphonium parts are more, more difficult, but a lot of things are easier to do on a euphonium. So I think, you know, there's that balance um, of finding what, what is and isn't difficult for that instrument. And certainly in test pieces where the whole point other than writing a good piece of music, which should always be fundamentally first, yes. is trying to write something that's difficult. You need to know what is possible and what isn't. And, and if you're actually pushing the boundary, then you're going to be writing something that's, that's kind of good. Yes. Good yeah. for the, the movement. And when you moved from baritone to euphonium, did, did you find the step up from, from uh, as a trombone player, from what I would think of as medium bore to large bore? Did you, did you find that an issue? or? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. And, and, Partly because when I when I moved, I was I was quite young, and to be honest, I probably wasn't really feeling a baritone all that well. So when I moved on to euphonium, that that problem was only highlighted, magnified somewhat, which is probably why I I had to do all of that work when I got to college on airflow. Is that yes. I was used to putting a baritone's worth of air through an instrument yes. uh, that you know they're the same length, but it's it's you know it's certainly more difficult to fill. Certainly once I moved on to a large bore euphonium. Yes. And I suppose in, as, in conclusion, James, um, I would have to ask the question that every euphonium player listening to this is, wants me to ask you, which is, what type of mouthpiece do you play? 
Um, whichever one I pull out of the case. No, I, I am. <laughs> That's not true. I'm sure. <laughs> well, well, it's to a degree. To a degree. Um, the the mouthpiece that I play on at the moment is a, an Alliance DC three. Uh, the reason I play on it, and I and I don't mind sharing the story, is that when I first joined Corey, um, I was I joined on second baritone, and um, my teacher Dave had suggested that his own brand of mouthpiece obviously uh, would be helpful in general, but they made a euphonium mouthpiece with a baritone shank, and so it meant that if I played on one of his mouthpieces on my youth and the same one on the baritone, yes. that yeah, I wouldn't have to change. Now I moved up up from second baritone to second euphonium fairly quickly and so I didn't have an awful lot of time playing on that uh, baritone (laughs) euphonium mouthpiece Um, but since then it's just the mouthpiece that I have so it's the one that I play on yeah yeah yeah. excellent well listen James thanks for doing this podcast Um, have a good time at the summer school and go easy on the Guinness I'll try my very best thanks James thank you Hi, and here we are with another podcast from the Fermanagh Tyrone Brass Band Summer School. And uh, this one we have the fabulous Laura Conway. Uh, Laura's just been appointed to Black Dyke Mills at the age of, Laura's about seven and a half, I think. Um, <laughs> she said, Laura, you, you must be one of the youngest ever cornet players to join the, the hallowed ranks of Black Dyke, are you? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think so. Well, there's one younger than me, actually. Seriously? He, yeah. Um, right. Adam she... Neild, who plays rep, he's, he's a bit younger than me. Right, right. Right, and do they come with that classroom assistance to, to look after them if they're younger than you? <laughs> no, he's over 18, so he doesn't need that. Okay, and Littleborough Rochdale um, is your hometown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you went to Wardle High School? Yeah. Wardle, of course, as anyone listening to this knows, is a legendary brass band. Brass band. Some people call it a factory, I don't think it's quite a factory, but it's certainly uh, very supportive of, of brass bands. Yeah. Or, and it would have been, I guess, a major influence on your... On your early days? Yeah, definitely. Yes. yes. And do you come from, a, is, is your family involved in brass bands, Laura? Yeah, uh, very much so. My, well, my uncle was my teacher uh, at primary school. My uncle, Lee Rigg, who yeah. previously played Repiano for Black Dyke, and before that he played for Fairies. Um, so he was my teacher from primary school right through to high school and then sixth form. Yeah. Uh, and then my mum and dad also play. My dad plays the cornet. So he kind of started me off on the cornet. He played for Grimethorpe Colliery Band. And then he met my mum and he moved over to Lancashire and joined Fairies. He moved to the wrong side of the family, <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, and my mum plays tenor horn as well. So. And so Wardle, Wardle was a conscious decision, I guess, for your parents to send you to Wardle because it has such a, a reputation yeah. as, a, as, a, as a brass yeah. band school. Yeah. yeah. And, and do, they, is that, do they still have the year thing where each year has a band associated with it? No, not anymore. They used, when my mum and my uncle were there, they, they had that, but it's kind of... Well, they have the junior blast. So yes. you do your primary school bands and then if you want to do junior blast, you do junior blast and then you move up into year seven and then you kind of go into youth uh, junior band, and then if you're good enough to go into youth band or intermediate band, the more advanced players can just go straight into that. 
uh, or you can stay yeah. in the youth band. There's also the wind band that my mum does, so okay, right. you can have a go in wind band as well. Right. Okay, excellent, mm. uh, a fantastic experience. And Laura, uh, you, you hear uh, stories about one which I don't know are true. Is it true that some of the vending machines sell valve oil? I've heard that. <laughs> no, I've never enough? seen any vending oh, machines. Oh, that's a shame. That's an urban myth I'd heard that was, I thought was brilliant. The, the notion of these kids putting a couple of quid in and get a bottle of a Mars bar or a bottle of valve oil. Out was, uh, oh, that's a shame that's not true. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, so how's Dyke going for you? I mean, it must be, it must be an experience, is it? Uh, yeah. A musical experience. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. It's what's, uh, and what's your, um, what's your test piece going up? Do you know yet what you're, what you're looking at? Um, we've got Dynasty. Right. Uh, for the British Open, uh, which we've had a little look at, and then we've got Titans Progress for the wow. Nationals. Yeah, that's a great piece. Brilliant piece. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really well, challenging piece. Yes, <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, yeah. Yes. And what are you playing with, Dyke? What What's your position, Laura? I've joined Dyke? on second corner. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a lot of practice to do. A lot of practice. Yes. To, uh, move and on ha- the and how far is Dyke from from where you live? How far is Queensbury then? Uh, from from Littleborough, it's it's only about. 35, 40 minutes. Oh, right. Oh, so that's, uh, that's just jump the over the hill. And, yes, Because yeah. yes. there's a lot of guys, I know that they used to have trombone players that, 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 that travelled a long way. I mean, I mean, Brett Baker still does, I guess, yeah. isn't he? I'm not quite sure where Brett lives these days, but yeah. it's, certainly a long, it's certainly a long drive. Yeah, yeah. really long drive. And, and how many, um, I mean, for, for a long time, Dyke would have been, or had the reputation of being a fairly conservative band, um, but there's a number of n- number of girls in Dyke now, isn't there? Yeah, there's loads. Yeah. Team girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these, yeah, these are Katrina on solo baritone, yes. um, Sammy, Alison, and Siobhan on horn. Then there's Zoe on flugel, me on cornet, and Logan on percussion. Right. I'm sorry if I forgot anyone. That's okay. Right. <laughs> You're taking over the world, aren't you, women? Eventually. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Most people listening to this, I suppose, will be brass band enthusiasts. What's your practice routine look like, Laura, on a, on a, on a, on a daily basis? Or do you, you, your face drop when I ask you that? <laughs> well, just a good warm-up. Just always a good warm-up. Uh, it kind of depends how I'm feeling that day as to how long of a warm-up I'll do. And then just basics, um, practicing any pieces that I'm working on. Just standard, really. Yeah, you're at the RNCM, are you? Yep. Yeah, and have you finished? Or what, no. Whereabouts are you in that? I've just finished my second year, going into my third year in September, and then I've got one more year to do after right, that as well. Right, Two more right. years. So full on then, bit, bit, bit between college study and and Dyke. Yeah, it's probably going to get a bit harder going into third year as well, because obviously this is the first year where it really starts to count. And okay. So I need to really work hard and obviously keep going with my practice as well and Dyke. So yeah. yeah. And, and, and career wise, Laura, what 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 do you fancy doing, or is that a is that too early in your in the situation to, to gauge? I think, I think yes. it's a bit too early, but yes. obviously I fancy doing some teaching. Yes. But maybe classroom teaching, primary school classroom teaching. Yes. But okay. that's just an idea. I would like to get my PGCA afterwards, yes. um, but just keeping my options open yeah. for now. Okay. And is this your, this isn't your first visit to, to Northern Ireland for this for no. the summer school? You came last year as well with Wardle. So right. I kind of tagged along with Wardle last year. Right, okay. And just kind of did some playing and helped out a little bit yeah uh, so yeah, yeah it's, really it's a good. fabulous experience isn't it I mean, yeah it's a, it's a one-man show with, with stevie crooks firmly yeah. firmly at the helm yeah. doing 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 everything and, and, yeah. and making it all happen yeah and have you discovered guinness or is that a, is that too i did last question? year oh, did you, right? yeah. i pulled a pint <laughs> did you right yeah. in, uh, it in, wasn't in, very good though in letterbrino or in uh, yeah. in the 
what is it the halfway in point. yes yes yeah yeah okay yeah. well well you're almost naturalized yeah <laughs> okay well, isn't it? In, i quite in... like a baby guinness though What's a baby Guinness? What's in a baby Guinness? What's in a baby Guinness? It's like a, a yeah, shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tea and Maria. Yeah, tea and Maria. Tea and Wow, I wouldn't dig that by the pint if I were you. <laughs> Listen, thanks for doing this podcast and uh, hope you have a good time. and uh, uh, Go easy on the baby Guinness. Yeah, I will do. Okay, thanks Laura. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Thanks. <laughs>